Yeah. <laughs> I only get those on Halloween. Those are so good. As we continue to worship our awesome God, let us just uh, open our Bibles. Nahum chapter 3. We're finishing Nahum today. As we look, as we continue in our series, walking through the minor prophets, uh, just summarizing uh, what has been saying through this whole chapter, this whole book, uh, to the people of Assyria. But as you do that, let me open up in prayer. Father God, we just praise you for what you have done for us. It is only by your grace that we can even come together to, to worship you and to praise you, Lord. So Lord, I pray that by your spirit that you would Help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. God, I can't make this turn out on my own. So Lord, by your spirit, will you do this? Will you use this sermon for your glory, for your honor? Will you use it to bring joy to your people and salvation to the lost? And amen. Nahum chapter 3. Uh... This is probably one of those ones where you kind of like, oh, I'm sure glad my kids won't be here. And yeah. (laughs) Nahum chapter 3. Let me read. This is the word of the Lord. Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder. No end to the prey. The crack of the whip and the rumble of the wheel, the galloping horse and the bounding chariot. Horsemen charging, flashing swords and glittering spear, hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies and all for the countless whorings of the prostitutes. Graceful and of deadly charm, who betrays nations with her whoring and people with her charms. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will lift up your skirts over your face, and I will make nations look at you, your nakedness and kingdoms at your shame. I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle, and all who look at you will shrink from you and say, Wasted is Nineveh, who will grieve for her. Where shall I seek comforters for you? Are you better than Thebes that sat by the Nile with waters around her, her rampart to sea and water her wall? Cush was her strength, Egypt too, and that without limits, puts and the Libyans were her helpers. Yet she became an exile. She went into captive. Her infants were dashed in pieces at the head of every street. For her honored men lots were cast, and all her great men were bound in chains. You also will be drunk. You will go into hiding, and you will seek a refuge from the enemy. All your fortresses are like fig trees with first ripe figs. If shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Behold, your troops are women in the midst. The gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has devoured your bars. Draw water for the seed. Strengthen your forts. Go into clay. Tread the mortar. Take hold of the brick mold. There will the fire devour you. The sword will cut you off. It will devour you like the locusts. 
multiply yourselves like the locusts, multiply like the grasshoppers. You increase your merchants more than the stars of the heavens. The locust spread its wings and flies away. Your princes are like grasshoppers, your scribes like clouds of locusts sitting on the fences in a cold in a day of cold. When the sun rises, they fly away. No one knows where they are. Your shepherds are asleep, O king of Syria. Your nobles slumber. Your people are scattered on the mountains with none to gather them. There is no easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. All who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not come your increasing evil? And this is the word of the Lord. So let me ask you this question. If you got the point of this passage, there's a lot of shame that's going on here. And let, so let me start with asking you this question. What is that one thing that you're most ashamed of? When you look back at your life, what is that thing that you're ashamed of? Now, I'm not asking you to say it, but just think about it in your head. Because we all have those things in our lives that we are really ashamed of, that we're ashamed of, that we even don't really kind of want to talk about. I remember uh, not too long ago, actually it was probably longer than I think, I was having a conversation with uh, some individuals of another religion. And I asked them to tell me their story, I said. And so they began to tell me their story. And I said, and they were very vague. So I asked them a very pointed question because that's generally what I do. I don't beat around the bush. I have a question and I want the answer. So I'll ask the question. And they said, oh, I don't want to talk about that. It's too much, too much shame. And I sat there and I thought to myself and I went, wait, you know, in my life as a Christian, there are things that I prefer not to talk about that I am shameful of. But at the same time, I am called not to be ashamed because I have been paid for. My sins have been paid for by the blood of Christ. So here this person, this individual, was still struggling with this shame. For Nineveh, the point of shame was rooted in this thing. It was ignoring God and denied uh, what, how they should treat the people of God. Shame is a major part of this final woe over Nineveh as we get into Nahum chapter 3. So as we look at this first part in these first seven verses here, we see this attacking a, a weak foundation that is beginning to happen here. God begins to whittle away at the foundations that the Assyrians have built their vast empire and he begins to just attack them and he goes, Whoa! And he curses them. And he calls them the bloody city. They're already doomed. They don't even know it yet, but God has doomed them. And he, and he curses them. This city that, that prides itself, that boasts on its merciless character and how it has treated other people. This bloody city. And God pours out this curse. It's a city that's full of lies. And as Nineveh and Assyria would do their diplomacy, and we see instances of this even in 2 Kings where they would come with Hezekiah, we see this. 
with King Hezekiah. They, they send their, 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 their diplomats and they get all excited. The kings get all excited. Hey, look at this, this big guy, this, this, this glorious and, and big empire is, is paying attention to me. So I'm going to show how much good I've got. So I'm going to take these dip, diplomats and I'm going to show them all of my wealth. And Hezekiah did that. He showed them all of the wealth of the temple of God. You know what those diplomats did with, with this face of, of, of generosity? They went back and they told their king, Oh man, that is a plump pig. That is something that we need to take over. And that's exactly what they would do. They were two-faced. They would come and they, they were, they're full of lies and, and they would plunder because they would move from one victim to the other. They were like a locust themselves, just a horde of locusts devouring everything that would come in their way. And in verses 2 to 3, there's this, this description of what Nineveh did with their diplomacy. But then we get down to verse 4 here. After we talk about all of the heaps of of dead bodies everywhere, because when this kingdom came in, they would wipe out everybody. They would kill everybody in the, in the city. And the bodies would literally be piled up on top of each other. But as they did this, they acted like, a, like the whoring of a prostitute, the text says. It described as the only party that is benefiting from the relationships with those who she's betraying. She would pretty herself up and lure these other kingdoms into her midst. And as she's doing that, she would tie them down and take everything that they have. It's funny, though, how in this text you even see how uh, sinful nature on the other party, uh, there's consequences for that as well. But she was like a, like a whoring prostitute's. Whoring is, is the giving away of affection that rightfully belongs to another person. So when God comes and describes someone as, as a whore, as a prostitute, he's saying, this is what I have against you. You've taken what is rightfully mine, and you've given it away. See, because Nineveh had built a foundation and God begins to attack it. And then verse 5, But God is against them. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will lift up your skirts over your face. And I will make nations look at your nakedness and kingdom at your shame. And I will throw filth at you. You getting the point here of who's in charge? God comes and he begins to to show shame upon these people. He removes the foundations that, have built their, that, that they have built their empire on and replaces these what they thought were strong foundations with shame. God will bring shame on them for what they have done. God exposes their true motives and brings shame upon them. See, Assyria was deceptive and self-serving. They claimed she had the right and the ability to control with military might and the help from their own gods. And God says, no, that's not going to happen. I will not allow this to continue on any longer. I will bring shame upon you. I will weaken your foundations. I will destroy your foundations. 
Not even God will mourn for them. As he says right there, where shall I seek comforters for you? So everyone will look on them as they are exposed in shame to everyone around them. Because they thought that they had a strong foundation. Because they were putting their trust, their hope in other things outside of who God is. God will show them where their strength should have been. Where their foundation should have been built. Because he comes along and in three ways he begins to tear down their their foundations. He goes and he talks about how they would come up with those attitudes of, I'm better than them. I'm better than them. He says this right on verse 8. God says, are you better than Thebes that sat by the Nile? There's an historical taunt here that even Thebes couldn't defend itself. So what do you think you're going to do? Thebes was this mighty city. It was deep within the Egyptian empire. They thought that they could not be conquered. They had fortresses surrounding many temples. They were defensible. They could have held their own. No one was going to go all the way through the Egyptian empire to conquer a city. And God says, hold on here. Are you better than Thebes? That sat by the Nile? that had all of this luxury? Will it go better for you than it did for them? With, and then it begins to talk about water with this parallel because uh, Thebes didn't actually have a river that went around it. It had a rivers that went through it, so it wasn't de- defended by it. But the, the, the author of Nahum is making a parallel with Nineveh saying, look, Thebes was conquered. The unconquerable was conquered. You will be conquered too. And I will be the one who does it. I'm going to shake this foundation of you thinking that you're better than they are. See, conquering Thebes for the Assyrians was a point of pride. It made them think that they were better than the others. Thebes had allies. They had puts and cushion. And they were the allies of them. And they couldn't even stop. The Libyans couldn't help them. Nobody could help them. And in verse 11, in verse 10, sorry, even she was brought out into exile. She was brought into captivity. Her children were killed. Her men of honor were sold into slavery. Nothing could stop that. So what makes you think that you're better than them? Nothing. And in verse 11, you also, God says to, to, to Nineveh, to Syria, you also will drink this. And here this is this parallel between drinking the cup of wrath that God will give them. You don't have a choice. They will be drunk with God's wrath and all those who reject God as king will drink from that same cup. You know, we continue to think about these things. I'm not old enough, really, to be saying some of the things I'm about to say, but I'm going to take it anyways and just say this. That we often take pride in our past, don't we? We take pride in uh, the jobs that we have, the things that we did, our accomplishments, all the time. We put our hope in these things often. And, and, And we begin to think that, look, look at what we did. Or we might say something like, oh, the good old days. 
because you're all snickering because you all used it at one point. And God says, are you better than Thebes? The answer is no. So God begins to tear down that idea that I am better than them. He begins to bring shame upon them in that way. And then he comes along and he addresses this issue of I'm stronger than them. Because Assyria had this mentality that they were the best, the strongest, the mightiest. That no one could conquer us. So there's this military taunt that comes out. Even their military won't be enough. In verse 12, they're like ripe fig trees that can be shaken and all of the fruit comes out. I remember as a kid, you know, uh, there are people's homes that I would go to and they would, might have a pear tree or, a, or a, um, a cherry tree and you could shake it and all the fruit would fall out. You didn't even have to go. It was like lazy man's picking. It was like, and the fruit would come down. You could grab some cherries and eat them or some, or some apples. And this is how this is describing. They're, they're, they're ready for the pickings. There's nothing that could hold them back at all. All your fortresses are like fig trees with first ripe figs. If shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. And you just picture this person sitting underneath the tree, shaking it with their mouth open. You know, just getting their fill. But that won't help. Behold, your troops are women in your midst. And before you come along and tell me, oh, well, look, the Bible's sexist. Let me explain this, okay? Because the... The Bible context is king, okay? Everything in the context is king, so you need to have a historical context. What were armies made up of back then? Men, obviously, but why? What were their weapons? There were shields and swords and spears. So if, if I'm coming up against, I don't know, who's something smaller than me? Dave, if I'm coming up to someone who's smaller than me, who's the more likely person who's going to win? Clearly, I'm going to win all the time. But, you know, although he's, he's far more fit than I am. But, you know, I'm so bigger than he is. I might just, you know, sit on him or something. <laughs> so he comes along and says, look, even your mightiest men, your soldiers, your armies, everything, they're, they're, they're the men. You think that they're mightiest? No, they're going to be like women. They're going to fade. They're going to crumble. They're not going to be strong enough to stop the onslaught of the thing that's going to come their way. Behold, God, God says, behold, I am against you. I'm going to shake your foundation. I'm going to tear your military apart. Assyria had put their hope not only in the fact historically that they are the ones that conquered Thebes, but that also they were the ones that had the strong military. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, that's not happening. I will take that away from you too. Because, behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts, the creator of the universe. Nothing can stop them. They were like untrained men. And then in verse 14, it comes along, and, which is great because 14 and on to the end of this is their sarcasm, which if you know me is great because I like sarcasm. So he comes along and he comes, draw water for the seeds, strengthen your forts, go into the clay. Essentially, God's like saying, he could do all that all day long. You could protect yourself. You could build up walls, but nothing is going to stop this. Nothing is going to hold this back. This is judgment time. I'm going to shame you. I'm, I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle an amazing thing 
The military was a point of pride. My strength can be a blessing, but it can also be a curse. I'm a pretty healthy person. I've got some work to do on that. I admit. I'm working on it. But overall, I'm doing all right. I'm strong. I'm capable. Nothing's going to take me down. The younger you are, the more you struggle with that. The older you are, you don't struggle with it as much anymore because you know things are starting to fall apart. God comes here and he reminds the Assyrians, you put your hope in your military and your strength and your physical ability to hold you up straight. That's not going to hold you up straight. It's going to come crumbling down like an untrained army. I remember watching a movie called, it's a Tom Cruise movie called The Last Samurai, because I like those types of things. And, uh, and I saw the example of what happens with an untrained army. See, the untrained army had all of this superior uh, firepower, but they were up against veterans with swords, samurais. And as that untrained army made the line and they were beginning to fire, they saw the samurais chasing after them, screaming with their veteran strength. And that line with the guns, even though they had superior weapons, crumbled. This is what will happen here. You think I'm strong? You think you're strong? That's not going to stop. And as he begins to come on, he, he begins to attack another area. He begins to attack their wealth, that saying that I'm wealthier than them. This is an economic taunt. Even your money won't save you. As he continues on in verses the end of 15 to 17, God says this, Multiply yourselves like locusts. Multiply like the grasshoppers. You increase your merchants more than the stars of the heavens. The locust spreads its wings and flies away. Increase your ability to make more. Go ahead. It won't do anything. Your power is nothing. Your leaders are even running away in verse 17. See, in our country, in North America, in the West, we have been blessed with so much. I've had the opportunity to, to do some traveling and I've seen refugee camps and I've seen uh, orphanages and I've seen these things. And look, when I come back, I say, man, even our homeless are more wealthier than these people. I'm not demeaning the poverty that we see here, but even we have so much. We have so much in this country. And that is a huge blessing and enables us to be a blessing to other people. As a church, we, we have all these resources so that we can bless other people. That's why we do our, our, uh, our, our offering, our special offering during communion, so that we can bless other people around us. As a, as a Western church, we can participate in, in disciple-making and church planning around the world because our dollar goes further. God has blessed us so much, but you don't want to know what the side effect is of that? We depend upon our finances more than we depend upon the God who controls those finances. We begin to rest in that, in our pension plan, in our, in our bank accounts, in our job. But we know that those things can fade like crazy. They can be here one day and gone the other. And God begins to attack them. 
and says, you can't say that you're wealthier than another. We can't hold on to it. See, our comfortable lifestyle is a stumbling block. I think that's something we forget. We kind of come with this entitlement that we deserve to be comfortable. I was reminded about this not too long ago. I was reminded about it uh, this week as I was talking with, with Pastor Matt about a class that he's going to be teaching on worship. And the writer of the book says, in his response, when someone says, hey, how are you doing? His response is, I'm doing better than I should be. You ever think about that? It's huge. That's a whole mentality shift because when we get so comfortable, we begin to think we deserve it. But you don't. And God comes along and he says, I'm going to take that away because you're depending upon it. And the people begin to scatter because there's no shepherd to lead them in verse 18. And in verse 19, when judgment comes, there is no escaping of it. See, Nahum closes, it goes full circle here. The fall of Assyria is connected to God's commitment to destroy evil. By destroying evil, God delivers those who trust in him. That's why we see at the end of here uh, in verse 19, all who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. Why? Because they're free. God destroys evil and he delivers those who trust in him. He ultimately sees that on the cross, we ultimately see this on the cross as Jesus died for our sins but rose again. God shows how weak those foundations really are to Nineveh. So what? Well, the question still remains for you in this so what. What is the foundation that you are building on today? What is that thing that you are holding on to that you're elevating above God See, Nineveh's shame was that they built their life on something else than God. And God exposes the weakness of their foundation, and he brings shame upon them. Every other foundation will crumble, just like Thebes, like the military, like economic systems of Nineveh. The leaders of Nineveh, Jesus says this in, in, in Matthew 17, 24 to, uh, 24 to 27, as he's, he's talking about what foundation you're going to build on. Is it a rock or is it sands? Everything else will crumble. Do you think you're better than Thebes? Do you think you have the mites to withstand whatever may come your way? Do you think that you have the finances to take care of whatever may come up? See, this final list that charges against Nineveh include whoring. You know, it's an amazingly disturbing picture. And someone's going to come back. I'm going to ask someone at the end of the hey, what did I speak about? What did the Bible say? And all they're going to say is whoring. But I hope that it remembers, that it reminds you of something. You know, while literal fornication and adultery are sins in their own rights, this is used metaphorically in this way. The term is talking about the deepest roots of sin, which is idolatrous unfaithfulness to our Creator. We're all being charged with treason against the Holy God. 
Nineveh will become a proverb for the ultimate catastrophe. Human autonomy. Me coming up to God and saying, I don't need you. I've got this. I'm good. And God says, you're going to find out that there's a lot of shame involved in this. And Jesus would say to Pilate even one day, my kingdom is not of this world. Even the authority you have to kill me in John 19 is authority that is given to you by my heavenly Father. Imperial power has no power before God's. So as we look at chapter 3, a big theme in here is shame. Nineveh... Nineveh is famous for its horrific shaming of other nations through its might and wickedness. We'll have the tables turn on it. God says he will expose Nineveh and all its shame for the whole world to see. In a fallen world, though, in this world, we too today know what it is to be ashamed. Sometimes it is because of our own sin Other times we have been sinned against, causing us shame. But here's the beautiful thing. Our great Savior, however, endured the cross, despising the shame, as Hebrews 12 says, so that all those who look to him can be assured of the end. Someday, very soon, of all shame, will be free of that This is for all who repent and believe. Repent of their treason and putting their trust in something else and believing in the gospel that Christ died for our sins and rose again, that he alone can save us. Nineveh's fall is one of those many examples you see in the Bible that God's word comes true. It comes true. And this is the account of God working throughout history to redeem a people for himself. But right here we see that earthly powers today as then ignore or oppose God in many different ways. But Jesus still wins. Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection has brought the ultimate end to every human authority opposed to God. He conquered not by killing but being killed. The result is that one day every knee will bow, either in worship or under his iron rod. For those who have taken refuge in him, we don't know the answer to how long we have to wait. But we know that salvation has come and is coming in Jesus, and that in Jesus there is no shame. Only God is our foundation Will anything that is built last? So the question still remains to you. What is the foundation that you are building on today? And if you're coming here today with brokenness, with shame, I really want to tell you about who Jesus is, who bore your shame so that you can boldly approach the throne of Christ, boldly approach the throne of God. He has paid the price for our shame so that when we stand before a holy God at the end of times, there is no more shame. What is the foundation that you are building on? A building on a foundation of anything other than God brings destruction. Only God as our foundation will anything that is built last. 
So as we close this time, I think there's still one question. Pastor, that's great. I need to build my foundation on God, but you haven't answered the how. How do I get a stronger foundation? You can't if your only diet of who God is is only on a Sunday morning. For the 30 minutes that I come up here and talk and for the 30 minutes that we sing, if that is your only diet, you've got a really weak foundation. You have to be in the Word of God every day. That's what the writer of Hebrews was lamenting about in Hebrews 5, in verses 12 to 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to the distinguishing good from evil. If you want to have a strong foundation, you've got to be in the word of God. And if you need help in learning about how to study the Word of God, I've got these great little things that I got Pastor Matt to print off because he already did it. And he's giving them out to our youth on Sunday afternoons. Just how to study the Bible. You can put them there on cardstock. You can put it on cardstock. You can stick it in your Bible. You can tape it. You can ask yourself these questions every time you're walking through the Bible. You've got to be in the Word of God. If you don't know how to study the Bible, i got some quick things for you right here. But we need to remember this. Building on a foundation of anything other than God brings destruction. Only God as our foundation will anything that builds last. Let us continue to worship our awesome God who has saved us by His grace. Let me pray. Father God, we just thank You for today. We thank you for the chance we have to to get into your word, to see what it means to be a follower of Christ. And Lord, I pray that by your grace, by your mercy, by the working of the Holy Spirit, that we would continue to grow in our understanding of who you are. May we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior so that our foundation may be be strong, that Nolwood's foundation may be strong so that we can be faithful disciples ourselves who are going out to make, make disciples of Jesus Christ. And amen.